Hey everybody, on this edition of the MacGyver After Show, yeah, how about that? There you go, a little Twitch eggnog in here. We're dealing with the winter finale, that's right, season one, episode 11, Scissors. We're going to find out how Mac and Jack and Riley deal with the collective putting a lump of coal in the United States and China's stockings. Let's do it. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the MacGyver After Show right here on After Buzz TV. That's right. Jamming in with this sweet 80s intro for MacGyver. Look at that. That's right. That's the way we're entering the winter finale back in retro style. Hey everybody, I'm your host Frank Moran. We'll be breaking down the winter finale of season one, episode 11 of the 2016 version of MacGyver, Scissors. And as always, I'm your host Frank Moran. You can follow me on Twitter at HappyGoJackie. You can also like us on Facebook, give us those five stars on iTunes, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hop in the chat. Zach, our, who's our engineer, is in the booth. Is going to pull up the chat in just a few moments there. We'll get a chance so you guys can interact. Let us know. Let me know what you thought about this episode in particular or the 2016 series in general. How you're liking the, the reboot so far. Uh, my ghost, Mike Kalinowski, he unfortunately uh, is on assignment, as we'd like to say, probably saving some lives, fighting some crime. Maybe answering some fans' questions, signing autographs, taking pictures. He'll be back, though, when we start up again back in January when the uh, the winter season starts, oh, the winter premiere starts for MacGyver. Meantime, though, why don't we talk about episode 11? We're dealing with the winter finale. Now, Mike and I talked about it, uh, several episodes, what we were hoping to uh, tease the audience with at the end of this winter finale episode and none of that really came to pass instead we just had instead of like maybe setting up with that the larger mythology of the show with nikki and the organization that she works for maybe some movement with macgyver and his father we didn't deal with any of that we just basically kept it to uh well uh, certainly a a, a a a global threat but very much kept it within the, our main core and developing and enhancing and dealing with the relationships between our three main characters and more specifically with uh with jack and riley so the episode starts off with bozer uh and riley at uh, bozer and max house and they're getting ready for christmas and uh bozer his big thing is he cooks pastrami for uh thanksgiving uh, for christmas he doesn't deal with the traditional chicken turkey which as many as much as uh bozer can irritate me at some points or feel like well what's he doing here on the show uh i gotta agree with him on this time sometimes it's nice to do a little something different than the traditional chicken turkey uh, oh, look at that. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, Ivan Soto comments in the chime. Yep, yes. Uh, alone again. Yes, one last time there. But Mike will be back uh, back in January, so no worries there. And uh, who doesn't relate Bozer? You know, I have to admit, uh, Mike and I talked a little bit uh, with Bozer now uh, being part of the main core, knowing what uh, Mac, Jack, and Riley do for a living, that they actually work for the Phoenix Foundation, traveling around the world, preventing global threats and catastrophes from happening. It's nice to have him in the mix, and uh, his connection with Riley played an important part in this particular episode. So, as uh, as Bozer and Riley are working in the kitchen, and Bozer's getting ready to fire off his world-famous pastrami for Christmas Day dinner, he goes out to the grill to start setting it up and leaves Riley with the task of con- uh, keep stirring some of the sauce that he's going to be using, and when he comes back in, he notices the uh, the uh, fire alarm is, is beeping, and the pot that Riley was stirring is smoking on the stove. He turns it off and realizes that Riley is not around. Now, Riley been a little distracted for the past couple weeks, but still, the fact that she's nowhere to be found, uh, he gets concerned. Get, uh, gets in touch with Mac and Jack, and they uh, check out her place and find out that it's been tossed. All her hard drives have been drilled through, and she is gone. So, all of a sudden, Mac, of course, is having shades of Nikki. 
Uh, Nikki was somebody that was really close to him. He was in the inner circle, so to speak, and ended up betraying them. And now was wondering, is Riley just another version of Nikki? Uh, so he's kind of dealing with that issue, thinking like, oh, my gosh, did we let another uh, little serpent into the nest, so to speak? Jack, though, who's known Riley for 14 years, met him as a kid because he dated her mother at the time, doesn't have a shadow of a doubt. Trusts, trusts Riley implicitly and says, no way, there's no way that she could possibly have turned. Uh, but Thornton, over the Phoenix Foundation, gets in touch with them, and just to make it seem a little bit more dire for Nikki, or excuse me, for Riley, we find out that there's been a big NSA hack, and it looks like China and the U.S. are at odds, because there was a, a cyber threat release, uh, a, a statement there by the United States uh, authorizing a cyber attack on China. Now, China responds in force by sending out their submarines armed with nuclear missiles towards the west coast of the United States, uh, towards California, ready to fire if necessary. Now, uh, Thornton tells Jack and Mac, though, that this, this uh, order, this executive order, was a fake. And how do you actually tell that Chinese that this is actually a fake? So they need to find out, like, who hacked into the NSA and was able to download all this information, what exact information that they took, and how they're using this to kind of manipulate the tension between the United States and China. So, of course, uh, Thornton says the only two people I trust to actually be able to get Riley in, hopefully she's innocent, we can prove that she's innocent, or if she actually has turned rogue, gotten that evidence, uh, gotten that data for the uh, for this hack and uh, leaked it out, then we need to be able to bring her in, and Jack and Mac are the people to do it. Now, Bozer says, I'm going to go with you too, not as a member of the Phoenix Foundation, because you know I still, I'm certainly not a field operative, but I can be your inside informant. I spent a lot of time with Riley, and how she thinks currently, even though Jack's known her longer, Riley's been uh, uh, hanging out with Bozer a lot more recently, so he says, you know what, I know the place that Nikki, or excuse me, Riley would go if she needs to get new hardware. Uh, over here in the chat, though, we've got, uh, oh, yes, uh, Boo69Bs, welcome. Yes, uh, Bozer finally got his Christmas gift. We'll deal with that at the end of the episode, which is really good. And uh, and uh, Ivan, uh, Ivan Soto asked in the chat, were we supposed to know that Jack has known Riley since she was a kid? I didn't see the first few episodes. So, yes, in the, uh, the pilot episode, after Nikki turns rogue and leaves, they need somebody else with hanking skills to be able to, uh, that was on par with Nikki. And Jack knows just that person, that's Riley. They get her out of the Supermax prison. And Jack fills in Mac about the backstory that he's known Riley since she was a kid. And so that's why he knows that he's, she's the person to go to. So uh, it has been established at the beginning of the series that, that Jack and Riley have a past. And he, as he tells Mac, the reason that he did that is uh, he left them is that uh, he was being very rough with uh, Riley's father. He'd get drunk, come by, and smack around Riley's mother Jack with the little lady smack on her dad and thought like, all right, maybe I've overstepped my bounds into this relationship. I need to leave. Uh, and so I was always thought when Riley comes back into the picture and Jack gets her out of prison, she's a little sour towards Jack. And Jack's just assuming that's because, well, you know, I beat up his dad a lot. I beat up her dad. So that's probably why she's sour. We find out in this episode, though, that's not the case. Uh-huh. Oh, there you go, Ivan. So yes, uh, happy to help. So, uh, with the Bozer's, uh, Bozer's insight, though, they go and visit the inside man, the person that's responsible for setting up all in Nikki's. Uh, I keep calling him Riley Nikki this episode. Uh, you know, our two, two cyber hackers, even though they're not facing off in this episode, still keep uh, the betrayal aspect keeps making me associate uh, Nikki with Riley. But Bozer takes Jack and Mac over to Riley's uh, hardware manufacturer. They uh, after. 
uh, Mac starts torturing all, all, all his computer devices by shocking them with, uh, with batteries to kind of kill the screens. He finally lets them know that, you know what, Riley approached me a couple weeks ago, wanted me to build her a new custom set of hardware there with a tracker built inside of it. And that throws up a little red flag to Jack. It's like, why would Riley want to have a, us to find her so easily she, if she deliberately built a tracker inside this new hardware kit? Well, they track it and they find out that she's in Vancouver, Canada. So they head off. Uh, they're just kind of basically surveilling, watching the scene, and find out that uh, as they're talking more about uh, the, her mother and, and uh, Jack's relationship with Riley's mother and why Riley may be going rogue uh, and how Jack is really hurt that Riley couldn't trust uh, Jack to come forward to, to whatever kind of problem that she may be having right now, that uh, Riley, uh, Riley could not come to Jack. And Jack's really hurt because he's figuring out, like, if we're supposed to be a team and we're supposed to trust each other, how can we possibly work together if we can't have each other's backs? So while they're, doing, while they're having that discussion, Bozer notices that there's a car pulls up and notices Riley making its way towards this van. And Riley hands in the laptop, and then out of the back of the truck comes out a woman. Uh, so Riley runs over to the woman, says that she's safe, and Jack, Mac, and Bozer run over there and realize that this woman that got dumped out of the back of the van was, in fact, Riley's mother. Uh, and she's got, uh, she's, her hands are bound, and uh, she's got a tourniquet around, or like a cloth around her neck. But she's kind of struggling to breathe. And as they take the cloth off around her neck, they realize that there's a wire tightening around her neck, and it's attached to a device behind her neck that is kind of almost like screwing the, the, the wire tighter and tighter and tighter. So Mac is trying to figure out a way that he can actually cut the wire, and uh, he's, he's struggling because his pocket knife is it's too short. He's not able to get enough leverage to be able to cut the wire. So he scouts around, and uh, while Riley and Jack are doing their best to keep the wire from crushing her, uh, Riley's mom's throat, uh, Bozer and Mac are looking around for something that they can use to help uh, extend the, the sw- his switchblade, uh, the scissors on a switchblade, to give him enough leverage so that he can cut the wire. He finds a, an old uh, a signpost in the in the ground, turns it over, is able to uh, get his scissors inside, uh, attached to that wood rod, and that is able to give him enough tension that he's able to actually then cut the wire. Hence, the scissors come in handy. Uh, yes, uh, Cupid Doll, as Ivan Soda says in the uh, in the chat, Cupid Doll Jack Dalton. That's what uh, Riley's hacker uh, hardware building friend refused to uh, refers to Jack or, uh, Jack as little Cupid Doll. So uh, back in the episode, though, uh, we end up uh, getting the wire off of Riley's mom and uh, Diane, and realize that oh, now we have a better better idea about why Riley did what she did. It's because this organization that she used to work for called the Collective had her mother hostage, and they were threatening to kill her unless Riley hacked the NSA. Now, Thornton's filling her in on all this, in fact, showing her the video that the collective sent her two weeks ago, saying that they had her mother and had her mother reading this message to Riley in the video at gunpoint from the collective, saying that what they needed her to do is hack the NSA. Now, back a couple years ago, uh, Riley was mixed up with the collective. She was working for them. She'd do some uh, some hacking gigs. She'd get paid for it. As she said, nothing that wouldn't allow her to still sleep at night. So she didn't really have a problem until they escalated and they wanted her to act, uh, hack the NSA. Riley uh, is like, nah, this, is not, I, this is really crossing a line for me. And even though they were threatening her mother, what she decided to do is hack the NSA but do it terribly so that she deliberately get caught and placed in prison. So if she's in prison in a supermax, she has no access to computers. She can't hack, so the collective has no reason to, to be bothering her. So they let her mother go. This time, though, they know she's out and they're not going to take no for an answer. So even if Riley, for some reason, got caught or tried to set herself up again, they would still kill her mother. So Riley figured she couldn't 
kind of screw them that way again. So she needed to do the hack. And Thornton says, you know what? You know, I, I, I need to help mommy is still uh, I need to say my mommy is still not a good enough excuse for <laughs> doing such an illegal act and setting China and, and the United States at odds with each other. And uh, so Thornton asks, what, what do they get? What is this, all this information that they wanted you to, 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 to download? And Riley says part of the information that she got from the NSA was this program that allows uh, uh, the government, if you wanted to, to be able to remote control uh, uh, modern vehicles right there. They can do that remotely, take over and control them. Uh, but and, and so Jack is like, well, that's not such a big deal. I mean, you know, China's going to be there in the subs. They're they're in the uh, they're in the middle of the ocean, so they're not going to be affected by this programming. So it's what's the worst that could happen. Some of the vehicles in China kind of you know start acting screwy. And Riley says, well, that programming uh, can be tweaked enough to be able to uh, interact and control any other types of vehicles, in particular maybe submarines. Not a great idea. So if they could actually get the, the China subs to launch the missiles at the United States, that would be a bad idea because that, again, could start the next world war. Uh, so uh, as they realize, you know, the only way to be able to do this is that they actually need to go to Shanghai and they need to be able to stop this at its source. If they can get over there uh, with the laptop and the collective who's bringing it over to Shanghai. If they can get that laptop back, stop that program from being executed because uh, it's this program called Cannibal. And the cannibal basically just eats up uh, the control of another item so and allows the, whoever has that programming to control that vehicle, whether it be a car, a boat, a submarine, plane, something like that. So they realize that, you know what, Jack and Mac, we need to go to Shanghai, need to get that laptop back, need to get that program uh, out of ch- the Chinese hands and uh, hopefully restore everything back to normal. So Riley is supposed to go back with uh, Thornton and, uh, with, uh, to see Thornton along with Bozer and her mom. And Riley steps up in this episode, realizes that, you know, she's really screwed the pooch with everybody, set everything up uh, in a bad situation, says, you know what, I'm going to come with you. I've got to, I've got to settle my debts here. I'm going to come with you, Jack and Mac, to Shanghai to uh, resolve the situation. And Bozer's left to escort Riley's mom back to Thornton in Los Angeles. Uh, now here back in the chat. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, Ivan Soto. Uh, Riley kind of uh, reminded uh, her of Michael Sch- uh, Schofield from Prison Break. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. She kind of prison breaked herself. She deliberately put herself in prison, although she wasn't trying to break herself out or break uh, a loved one out. She was actually trying to protect a loved one by being placed in jail. Uh, and then let's see. Uh, we got uh, the filming location on IMDb says uh, L.A. and Marietta, Georgia. Yeah, so uh, it was interesting. They do a lot of the filming in Georgia, so they've been able to maximize the locations right there to make you think that you're in Shanghai uh, all the way over there. But it was cool to uh, look at the structures and uh, see how they're able to transform uh, parts of downtown Atlanta into resembling parts of Shanghai. So we cut over Shanghai. And we see Jack Mack and Riley over there trying to get inside the building where they believe that's the destination that the laptop is going to be taken to by the collective. So they're trying to figure out a way to get in. And it's basically, uh, uh, as Riley's trying to scan that, it's like a Faraday cage. No signals are getting in and out of that building. But there is an ATM there. So Riley gets the idea, if we can hack this ATM, then we can see who's coming and going. And we can see when the collective makes their move to get inside the building, hopefully intercept them. Uh, but Jack is now also taking this moment there to kind of hash out his feelings about uh, this, how he's feeling hurt that Riley didn't come out and trust him. And Riley is not really in the mood to be talking about this. And the tensions are kind of getting heated there when Riley does get the camera up from the, from the laptop uh, of uh, the ATM on her laptop and realizes, oh, man, 10 minutes ago, the collective actually walked my laptop 
into the building. They've already been there for 10 minutes. Not a great, not a great sign. So now they realize they need to get inside the building, which is tough because security is right there. So how do you get in there without just trying to waltz through security, possibly get arrested and, you know, and, and, and uh, put in captivity? So that's not going to allow you to get anywhere close to that laptop. Mackett has an idea, though. He goes around to the back of the building and he finds the, uh, the air duct system and he realizes and some PVC pipe. And he cuts out a little hole in the PVC pipe, and he realizes that one way to make the sound of an air raid, an air raid siren, is if you put a blade inside uh, a tube inside a tube and let the blade kind of create that sound. So he takes a small PVC pipe, places it on top of the air conditioning fan, puts a, a garbage can over the top of that, and then lets it get, keep going. And as they walk into the building, acting like tourists, uh, the, the 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 propeller right there at the air conditioning unit interacts with the PVC pipe and creates like an air raid siren sound, and so the security at the building once they're inside says, you know what? Uh, while we're trying to figure out what's going on, you guys just happen to walk in. We're gonna just keep you, uh, you know, hey, nothing bad. We're just gonna keep you kind of locked away and out of out of sight, out of mind uh, until everything's clear, and then we'll let you guys back on your way. Which you know, for Riley, Jack, and Mac is perfect. This is exactly where they want to be. And as they're being led to a kind of a safe room where they can be uh, stashed while the security kind of figures out the situation in the building, uh, Mac is uh, surveying the, the scenery. And once they get into the room, uh, Mac realizes, you know what, this is, uh, we're in, uh, we're, we are in like, the Chinese command center here for, the, for, uh, for everything that they need. And so this is not the building they thought they were in. This is uh, actually uh, a lot worse. This is uh, Chinese main command. So they realized they need to get out of here and they need to get out of there fast. So <laughs> this is part I feel bad for Jack for because Max says we need a distraction immediately. So Riley and Jack just start getting into this, what Jack thinks is a fake argument. One of those just kind of, hey, we're just going to act like we're arguing until we can get a security guard to come over and then get what we need from him while he's distracted by us arguing. Uh, but Riley still really starts dialing into the, the abandonment and the father issues and keeps slapping Jack really hard. And Jack's taken aback at this because he's not sure. He's like, wait, I thought we were playing. Why are you, are you bringing real stuff into this? What's going on? And the security guard comes in, kind of settles everything down. But while he's distracted talking with Jack and Riley, Mac is able to cut off his security guard, uh, his security badge. So they're able to get in. He can get them out of that room, even after the guard is left. So once the guard leaves... They kind of figure out where they're at, they're at, and they get out of the room. Now, they want to go up to the top floor where the servers are, but they realize, well, you know, we can't get up there without having any sort of access because the top floor of the building is where all the servers are at. And that's where all the information, that's where Cannibal Program has been placed, is up in the top room of the servers. So how are they going to get up there if the elevator is not going to allow them access without a key card to that? Uh, they need a special key card that the security guard doesn't have clearance for. So Mac and Riley, they go off into another room. Uh, Mac has an idea about a way to maybe trick the elevator into allowing them access. And uh, while Jack is standing guard, Mac and Riley are kind of assembling some gear. And Mac's using this as an opportunity to talk to Riley a little bit, kind of find out what's all this tension between her and Jack. And he tries to explain, you know, you guys got to work this out just for uh, because we need to be able, the team needs to be able to trust each other. So Mac fashions a device that uh, basically just kind of uh, piggybacks a signal from one of those uh, IR fobs that will allow them access to that top penthouse level where all the servers are at. And while it's not going to allow them access, what it'll let them do is if they can get somebody that has one of those IR fobs on there close enough within 20 feet to the little device that Mac has fashioned, it will replicate the signal from that IR fob and allow them access on the keypad to get all the way up to the top floor of the elevator. Kind of a nifty trick. 
So uh, Riley finds uh, one of the uh, the Chinese technicians there whose English is not really good, but is just acts very friendly and pleasant and gets him close enough to the elevator that uh, the IR fob that a Mac is built activates and they're able to get the elevator working to get them to the top floor. Uh, uh, so they're making their way up to the top floor and that's when Jack and Riley kind of get into it right there. They're using this opportunity because uh, Riley's figured out from Mac that, you know what, wait, Jack, you don't trust me. And Jack's like, wait, yay, we got to sort this out because why are you still carrying the scrudge at, at me? What have I done? Uh, and we find out that uh, there, there's some there's some tension there that uh, Jack I thought he was doing the right thing by leaving Riley and her mother alone after his dad would come around and then thought that, you know, that the reason that Riley was mad at Jack was because he was hurting her father. And Riley says, you know what, you, do you think I was stupid? I know what was going on. I could hear that. I could hear my mom screaming when my dad would come over and hurt her. Uh, and so I know that, you know, what you're doing, it wasn't because you were violent with my dad and stopping him from beating him. It was because you just decided to leave because you were a fa- more of a father to me than my real father ever was. So she had made those connections, emotional connections with Jack. And when he up and left, then she felt really betrayed and abandoned. Just another a, a man that she hoped cared about her and was part of her life ended up leaving her that really kind of really uh you know just struck a uh, really hurt her so there was a so she kind of carried that resentment toward jack all these years and finally in this moment here in the elevator they're, they're able to finally start getting that out no uh, none of it's been resolved though but that's just kind of the issue though because they get to the top floor and they start making their way in through uh, into the uh, the server and they find out oh man we're a little bit too late because uh the missiles have already been launched uh, as Riley ha- hacks into the system, but she's able to get into the system and stop the commands on all of the missiles being launched except for one, which one is actually all you need. Uh, one missile is going to do plenty of damage if it launches from a Chinese submarine all the way over to California and detonates. That is definitely going to start World War Three again. So we've got a missile heading off towards California, and the group is momentarily stymied about, oh man, how do we stop a missile that we have no access to that it's designed to be unstoppable, to not allow people to hack it, to change its programming, to change its destination. So what do, what do we do about this? Uh, now, uh, before we get into that, we'll jump back here into the chat. Uh, Ivan Soto says, I wonder how different Riley would have been if Jack had raised her. Uh, it was interesting because the way that uh, Jack, uh, excuse me, that uh, Riley and Mac were talking and Riley was describing Mac that, oh man, you know, for 14 years I had to deal with, you know, his accent and his swagger, the things that he says. And the way that she's talking about him, even though she's kind of mad, is the way that some people would talk about a father in their life, is that this person can absolutely drive you crazy, but you love them more than anything, even though everything they do can just embarrass you, just make you just like, oh, stop it. But deep down, you absolutely love this person. So it was interesting during that conversation with Mac, I felt like that real connection that Riley had to Jack uh, was definitely more of a, a loving yet irritated child to a father figure. And Jack, uh, and I did like uh, Max's reactions that even though you know Jack can be that crazy guy that he is, uh, that he does have you know those those bit those moments of uh, really kind of down to earth wisdom that uh, if you just listen can uh, can really make a difference. Uh, and then Ivan Soto's got a question about uh, Jack. We'll get uh, Ivan. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, so we've got, of course, we've got the one missile heading off to the United States. And the team trying to figure out, how do we stop this? And uh, Riley just makes an offhand comment that the only satellites that actually uh, 
connect with that missile while it's in transit to wherever its destination is uh, are the satellites that are GPS, uh, the GPS satellites that ping the satellite, to, uh, that ping the missile to make sure that it's going on the right course. And Jack just makes an offhanded comment, hey, don't worry, Riley, Mac's already got a plan. And surprisingly, Mac, Riley's comment kind of strikes him for a second, and it gets his mind thinking, and a plan kind of forms right in his head. And even Jack's surprised, like, wow, I seriously didn't think you'd have something that fast. And Mac realizes the idea is like, hey, uh, we need to make the Earth move, at least for from the missile's perspective. So the idea is, since these satellites are about 12,000 feet up in the, in the sky, uh, they're very far away that the ones that the GPS satellites that are pinging the missile to keep it on course. The idea is right in that control room there on the top floor of the, of the, of the building in Shanghai is that they're going to fashion their own antenna, own antenna, send them a signal that makes them think that California is in a different, slightly different area. Uh, and since that signal is going to be closer than the one that's up in orbit, hopefully the missile then will receive that GPS and kind of go follow that course since it's a much more closer, stronger signal. So they use some wire mesh that's in the walls of that, that, that uh, server room. Uh, they get some wires together here, and uh, and they get ready to broadcast the signal. They need uh, Riley to be able to hack into the GPS satellite and get ready to broadcast their own signal. They point the, the wire mesh. They kind of curve it. They set everything they need. They point it out towards the window, and uh, they're, they're set to go. And uh, Jack says, all right, uh, or Max says, all right, Riley, fire it up, and it's not working. And they realize that there's no power. So I... Uh, Mac races over to get the electrical power there uh, and take it over to their kind of uh, makeshift satellite that they've made. And the wires just aren't close enough to be able to connect. They need something to hold them together. And Mac looking around the room and can't find anything. So Jack uh, just uh, mans up, as he often does, and just grabs the two ends of the, uh, the wires and holds them together in his fist so they can make that connection. Uh, and all of a sudden the signal's active and being transmitted to the missile. And it ends up... After, I'm sure for Jack, must seem like an eternity, uh, <laughs> the missile starts moving. And Thornton's watching this in real time. And they were less than 60 seconds from the U.S. something a countermeasure to stop that satellite, which would have been basically the, the start of World War III. But Thornton notices the missile is moving and says, whatever you do, just keep doing it. And so there we cut back to Jack just holding those two wires together so they can make the connection so that the signal can still be transmitted. And it's able to uh, convince the, the missile that California is still higher up in orbit, so the missile launches further off into low, uh, low Earth orbit and detonates up there without harming anybody. So there we go. Uh, the day has been saved. And uh, Jack, uh, well, his hair is so, uh, so spiky already as a little cupid doll. So, uh, I mean, you're not really notice the difference of, you know, how many volts were coursing through his body during the course of that. Uh, <laughs> uh, back in the chat here. Uh, as Ivan Soto says, uh, how long can somebody hold naked wires without dying? I, I mean, I guess it all depends on how much current is running through there. I don't know how much current it actually takes to activate a satellite. I guess we should look that up. I, I'm going to feel like they, the the writers, they base all this stuff in reality as much as possible for how uh, what, what Mac uses to kind of design these contraptions and ways to uh, achieve his goals or get out of situations. So I feel like they did the research on and how much current would go through that would need to be go through those wires to keep that satellite powered and how much the human body can actually withstand. So I'm sure it you know not painless at all, but uh, I guess it, it is survivable. Uh, Felicity uh, Gutierrez says there in the chat, uh, she agrees that uh, that Fort Raleigh does care about Jack. Yeah, definitely. This is uh, she's always and. 
you know, they've always been kind of have a little kind of ribbing here, but you definitely felt in that conversation that, that she does, you know, just have, have that just really, uh, just, just deep love for this guy that, you know, that has hurt her for sure. But, uh, Still, no matter how much she's hurt her, uh, she, she still loves him. So it's almost, almost like that kind of uh, you know father daughter kind of un- unconditional love kind of deal. Uh, and Ivan Soto asking in the chat, "What if the mesh hadn't been bendable?" Well, come on, you're asking, can that that steel mesh hold up against uh, the might of Jack? Come on, look at that. I mean, that guy. Look at that guy. He he actually did a little uh, a martial arts action. Well, he really didn't do my martial arts action. I do like that Jack is Delta Force trained there, but he's fighting one of the security guards in China uh, who pulls a gun on Riley, and he's fighting him out while they're getting into that server room. And uh, basically, the guys, the the security guard, doing a lot of kicks, spin kicks, uh, a lot of uh, karate kung fu esque moves, and Jack's just kind of just dodging back and forth, and then just kids him with a couple of haymakers and takes him off for the count. I, I was expecting, I was really hoping for a really cool Jack fight sequence there, but like, no, no, he just waited for his his one little opening, and then he just started throwing some fists, and then that was the end of the fight. So, a little disappointing. Hoping for a little bit cooler action sequence for Jack there. Uh, and Ivan Soto actually uh, says uh, in the chat, Mac looked really weird without the brown leather jacket. Uh, oh, really? Well, I mean, I guess. I never, you know, I, I have to admit, I didn't even notice that. I, I just, uh, you're right, he didn't have the eye of the brown leather jacket on there, but I didn't even notice that. It didn't even dawn on me. Uh, but so they, they, the missile's then been detonated. Of course, they, Chinese security uh, decides that that's the moment they're able to get up to the, the top floor of the building. And so they take our uh, Jack Mac and Riley into custody. But we immediately cut to Los Angeles, and we find out that Thornton, of course, since the day's been saved, she's able to pull her strings and get them back. But, of course, Christmas has come and gone while they've been uh, in transit from China back to America. But Bozer knows that they're coming back and they've been delayed, so he decides to postpone Christmas Eve and, and do it as soon as they arrive. So he's been cooking his world-famous pastrami, has the eggnog at the ready. Riley's mom is there. Thornton's there. They're all ready to welcome back Jack, Mac, and Riley back into the house. And Riley's mom... Uh, very, very happy to see that Riley's back home safe and sound. Uh, because after, uh, when they first save her at the beginning of the episode, after the collective dumps her out there with a wire around her neck, that's the, this is the first that uh, Riley's mom realizes what re- Riley is really into, that she's working with Jack and Mac in this organization and going around the world and potentially being in life-threatening situations. And how do you tell your daughter that it's okay and can you tell your daughter that it's okay i mean the, you know riley's a, a grown woman now she can make her own decisions but still as a as a mother or any parent it's tough to uh, willingly just not want to do everything you can to keep your child uh, close and safe uh it's hard i think i would imagine it'd be very difficult for a parent to let their child go off into knowing danger um and maybe not be able to come back but she does come back uh after after uh, riley's mom threatens jack like if anything happens to her i will end you uh but she comes back safe and sound so instead uh instead of ending jack she gives jack a kiss on the cheek and uh you know jack opens up to diane because when she asks where did we go wrong jack opens up and says you know maybe you know i think i blew it with you guys i uh felt that riley was getting a little too attached to me and uh, he got scared he didn't think he was a good enough man to be a father to her or to be a potential husband to uh, Riley's mom. Uh, he, he felt he just wasn't good enough for her, so he took off. And he feels bad about that, but Riley's mom uh, assures Jack that, hey, if Riley chose you, you are a great man. 
So, uh, and there's a, the the possibility of maybe a rekindling of that relationship. Uh, it seems to be kind of on the table. The way that uh, Riley's mom gave uh, Jackie a little kiss on the cheek and says, "Hey, you know, maybe maybe there's a second chance here." So, it'll be interesting if in the back half of the season they would kind of explore that and seeing how they've kind of uh, brought Riley and Jack a little closer together, you know, and uh, uh, Michael Michelle, who's playing Riley's mom, very great actor, uh, you know, on ER, on several other roles. So that's a nice name actor. So I, maybe, maybe you could see uh, her coming back into the show, uh, maybe a couple, a couple more times back in the, uh, the second half of the season to see how their relationship kind of progresses. It would be kind of cool. Uh, up in the chat here, let's see, uh, <laughs> Ivan Soto, uh, Thornton is very tall, says in the chat, and then Felicity, uh, uh, no, she ships Mac and Riley. What about Bozer? Oh, come on, Felicity, you're gonna, you're gonna, and Ivan chimes in on that too. Felicity and Ivan are all about the Mac and Riley ship. I, you know, I don't actually see between the two of them. I see very much more of a, um, like a brother and sister kind of vibe in there. I've never really seen anything kind of romantic. Uh, and speaking of romantic, uh, as uh, Riley gets over there to Bozer, the course of the, the kind of run through through the beginning part of the season has been that Riley would give Bozer one digit of her phone number whenever Bozer would do something to help her out, whether it be go to uh, her parole officer or help out in some other situation. And for her Christmas gift to Bozer, gives him three numbers, 192, which happened to be the last three digits of her phone number. So Bozer's over the moon because now he's got her full, he's got the full digits, now he can text her. Uh, and <laughs> I do like Riley sets uh, the rules. Like, why don't we just keep the texting to the office hours? Let's just do it that way. Let's just keep it there so we don't have any weird late night texts going around. Nothing like that. So uh, certainly Riley's got a soft spot for Bozer. Whether it's actually going to develop into a full-blown relationship, I have no idea. Uh, certainly Bozer's into Riley big time. I don't know how much Riley's into Bozer. I think she's... She likes him, and she's fond of him, but I don't know if she sees him as somebody that she could be in a relationship with. Um, but I guess she's just willing to kind of just check to see if that's a possibility. So she uh, gives Bozer her last three digits. Bozer's got his Christmas gift, got Riley's full number, so he's all set. And uh, Matt comes up to her talk to Riley and uh, touches base and says, hey, you know, I'm sorry. I kind of doubted you for a moment. I thought you were maybe like Nikki again. But the one person who didn't doubt you for a second was Jack. Not not one moment did he ever doubt that uh, anything happened. And so Riley goes out there and talks to Jack. We find out that Mac has given Riley a uh, Dallas Cowboy Snuggie for uh, for Christmas, which seeing Jack Dalton wearing a Dallas Cowboy Snuggie uh, seems really awkward. But I guess he's going to give it a shot. But uh, it looks like Jack and uh, Riley are in, on really good terms. They hug it out. They're in a good place right there. And so uh, it will be interesting to see if any sort of relationship kind of develops with uh, with Riley's mom and Jack in the back half of the season. Uh, and at the beginning of the episode, Riley had said uh, to Bozer that uh, Christmas was never a great time, you know, with the way that she was brought up with her family and her, her dad not being a great guy. Uh, so Christmas never really a great time of year. But uh, Riley's mom would always tell her that the, the, uh, when, it, when the snow would fall, that white snow would kind of make it like a, a clean slate and, and a hope for a better year for the following Christmas. But being out there in California, you know, uh, where she grew up, you know, not a little, not a slow, no snow really fell. So she never got that chance to see white snow and get that, that hope for a better year the following Christmas. And at the end of the episode, uh, we find out that it starts to snow as Jack and Riley have their hug. And Mac comes out and says, you know, Bozer told me that you've never had snowfall on Christmas, so he makes a little snow machine to be able to have them have a little kind of fresh snow to hopefully 
uh, put some white powder on the ground and give a hope for a, a better year by the time the next Christmas of 2017 rolls around. So that brings us to the end of, of MacGyver right there. And here in the chat here, let's see here. Uh, uh, Felicity says, no no more chemistry between them and Bozer, uh, referring to uh, Bozer and uh, and Riley. And uh, Boo69Bs, it was cool of Mac for making it snow for Riley. Absolutely it was. Uh, I, I definitely think it's a great uh, great dynamic about this uh, between the three of them. And Bozer's been a nice little integration. He's been a little bit more prominent in the last few episodes as he kind of found out about the Phoenix Foundation, about Mac and Jack and Riley's role in that organization, and then helping them out on a couple missions. This one, uh, while he went on, he went for the beginning part of it to help uh, find Riley and track her down. Uh, then he was kind of basically out of the rest of the episode until I got to the end, since he was supposed to be taking care of Riley's mom. So I felt like this, uh, going forward, this is the kind of mom that we got at Bozer, where it's more than just the beginning and ends of episodes, but he actually gets a little bit more involved in, in an aspect of the mission, but not the entire mission. Pretty good use. Uh, and yet we've yet to see how he's going to interplay when he's actually working at the Phoenix Foundation. We still have yet to see an episode of him in the nitty-gritty part of the Phoenix Foundation, exactly what his role is going to be within that organization. So... Hopefully that's something we'll see when the show returns back in January for the second half of the season. Uh, and as Ivan Soto says in the chat, uh, Nikki and Murdoch, uh, excuse me, uh, Sarah, Nikki, and Murdoch will all be back in the mid-season premiere, which would be cool. And Tanya says, yeah, Nikki and Murdoch are going to be back uh, along with Sarah. So uh, that'll be cool to check all that out. Uh, so uh, now hopefully, I, I, I got to say as we're, as we're getting close to wrapping up, the one thing that did disappoint me about this winter finale is that I was hoping that we were going to get some stuff teased up to kind of leave you for a few weeks kind of wondering about some aspects, whether that be Murdoch, whether that be Nikki and the organization. While this was a nice little character piece, especially between Jack and Riley, to kind of, you know, kind of get over that kind of tension that had been kind of underlying throughout the course of the, the first part of the season here. I'm kind of bummed that we didn't have some kind of nice kind of uh, cliffhanger-esque aspect to the winter finale to kind of get us excited to kind of broaden the the mythology of the show a little bit. So uh, a nice episode, but, you know, I still wouldn't have minded a little something to kind of get us, like, amped up and excited for the back half of the season when it turns in January. But uh, as Ivan and uh, a few others were saying in the chat, if uh, if we got uh, Murdoch, Sarah, and Nikki back in the uh, the mid-season premiere, then that's going to kick us off in really good fashion. So... Uh, oh, Ivan Soto. Wow. Ends the show. What better way? What a great compliment. Thank you so much, Ivan. Great show, Frank. That's so kind of you. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to just wrap it up right here because it's uh, it's getting late. Everybody, you guys got to, you know, get do your Christmas shopping. You know, make sure you get all those presents wrapped there. Get, uh, you know, all those, you know, those Christmas ornaments hung. All, you know, your trees with tinsels on them, whatever you're going to be doing, however you're going to be celebrating the holidays. So we're going to take a break for a couple weeks for the winter winter break. So we'll be back in January when MacGyver comes back uh, for fresh new episodes. So we'll be back in January. Mike and I will be back here breaking down the second half of MacGyver season. But in the meantime, folks, you know what? You can like us on Facebook. You can give us those five stars on iTunes. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thanks, everybody, for hopping in the chat. Thanks for sticking it out with me. I know I was running solo on this. You guys made breaking down this episode so much more fun by interacting. So I really appreciate that so much. Uh, in the meantime, folks, you want to continue the conversation even after the show's over. You want to talk about MacGyver over the, the little winter hiatus before the show returns in January. You can reach me on Twitter at HappyGoJackie. Until then, happy holidays, folks. We'll see you back in January with new episodes of the MacGyver After Show right here on AfterBuzz TV. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. 
To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.